So growing up in a, you know, a very fundamentalist religious tradition, having a parent who is very, you know, control and power over, I'm incredibly sensitive to like, how can I respect my potential client? How can I respect myself and make that a mutual power with, right? Not power over. That is something that is, of course, incredibly important to me. Does your business or job support your well-being or is it hurting you? Do you find yourself in the same type of work dynamics that stress you out and wear you down again and again? Have you done a lot of work on yourself so you can make sure you leave the past in the past, but familiar feelings and struggles keep showing up? Now, the leaders and business owners I know and work with often do not intend to bring their past traumas into their business and leadership practices. In fact, they take many measures to make sure their past struggles do not impact their present work for better and sometimes for worse. Yet also their past pains can inspire incredible ideas and visions and systems fueled by a commitment to create something in this world that counters their difficult life experiences. But then sometimes no matter how hard you work, the echoes of your traumas can overwhelm you, especially in times of growth, change, or when anything new shows up and taps into your vulnerability. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with humans who navigate life's challenges and lead in their own ways. Our goal is to learn how they address the burdens they carry, how they learn from them, and how they become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. Your past experiences and relationships inform how you lead and run your business today, whether you're aware of it or not. The parts of you that helped you survive some really hard things have set you up to be keenly observant. And I know for some of you, you drive and push through challenges and work until you find the answer or achieve the goal because settling is not an option and failure feels like a threat instead of a learning point. So when I see things like overworking, perfectionism, fear of failure, crappy boundaries due to things like people pleasing or micromanaging, I often take a moment to get curious about the relational history of those I'm working with. And one of the more insidious aspects of trauma that I see impact leaders and entrepreneurs is relational trauma. Now, underneath those protectors of perfectionism and fear of failure and the well-known inner critics or hypervigilance and overfunctioning lies the burden of complex relational or betrayal trauma. Now, the burdens of relational trauma usually stem from various forms of abuse, neglect, maltreatment, or abandonment within a relationship, usually by a primary caregiver, but it also can be teachers and mentors and other formative adults when we were younger. And relational trauma is often the most challenging to identify and heal from, especially when basic needs were provided for you. So, you know, I often hear from those with relational wounding in their story, they feel like they're making a big deal of this kind of pain when they were provided for with meals and shelter and opportunities, even though other relational needs were not met or were violated. And the burdens of relational trauma can also impact how you see yourself and what kind of relationships or success you deserve, often leading for either hustling for love and affection or metrics that are so externally focused, or you're walled up against the vulnerability of ever getting hurt again. The parts that protect you from this kind of wounding often feel the drive and ambition that can get you praised and rewarded, right? 
Yet unhealed trauma wounds often lie outside of our awareness, leading to an unconscious drive to repeat the painful patterns we experience in our present day business and leadership. When I look back on my own work and entrepreneurial experiences, I can see the connection with the jobs and careers I've chosen with my own past pains in primary relationships and in school. And it's sneaky how parts of us will remedy needs that were not met when we were younger in our work. (laughs) Again, this is not necessarily wrong or bad unless we're burning out or our worthiness and safety become deeply linked with maybe a warped view of success of our work. And it's also sneaky how we can build a business and systems and teams that unintentionally replicate our relational trauma wounds. We do not see it because we are so used to it and it feels normal until it doesn't. And when I observe and reflect to my clients how their relational traumas are playing out in their business and leadership approaches, what usually follows is a frustrated exhale along with some statement like, Rebecca, I thought I worked through this already. (laughs) You know, my extra pair of eyes on their business and their leadership style picks up these trauma patterns in their business and leadership style because I'm not swimming in their system. And for me, after all these years, I could sure pick up the patterns quickly. Yet the parts of us still carrying the wounding can also inform how we lead, create a business and build teams for the better too. My guest today sent an email out last summer that I quickly opened up because she always has wise words for her community. And this time she wrote about the connection between her relational trauma and how she's setting up her current business. She detailed some of the systems she has in place so she can serve the best right fit people while also protecting her energy and making sure she's not replicating her relational trauma in her business. I immediately sent her a reply to her email and invited her onto the podcast. And I am so honored. She said yes. And you all are in for a treat. Heidi Taylor is a business and sales coach with over a decade of experience. She helps experienced and high touch service based business owners increase sales conversion rates and demonstrate your expertise with a strong intake and sales process. Heidi has a remarkable ability to help you feel confident in your sales process by helping you develop solid intake forms and asking better questions so you get straight into the sales conversation with confidence in both the buyer's intention and your own ability to demonstrate the value of the service you have to offer. Now pay attention to why slowing things down in her systems helps protect her business, her energy, and those Heidi wants to support. And notice when Heidi shares how growing up in a fundamentalist home influences how she wants to share power with her potential clients instead of fall into the common power over tactics often taught today. And listen for the intentions behind Heidi's boundary document and how she feels still every time she sends it to a client. Now, please welcome Heidi Taylor to the Unburdened Leader podcast. Heidi, welcome. Thank you, Rebecca. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for being here. And thank you for your trust. And I'd love to start out, you know, light and breezy stuff, right? That's what we do here (laughs) on the Unburdened Leader. Just kidding. We're going to go deep. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about some things that you've shared, particularly about how being raised by a parent with narcissistic traits and undiagnosed mental health issues actually helped your business. 
Specifically, walk me through how your childhood helped you hone in the ability to spot red flags in relationships and how that led you to creating a process to protect your energy in your business today. Let let me just start off by saying I'm a highly sensitive person, meaning I take in a lot of information when I'm talking with somebody, when I'm in the room with them, when I'm on a Zoom call, it doesn't matter. It's like uh, I'm listening, I'm observing, I'm intuiting, uh, I'm looking at body language, like all of those, you know, not to make you feel paranoid, (laughs) but I'm like soaking in all of the cues that the person I'm talking to is giving to me because of my childhood, I had to do that to be safe and to survive. And so the idea of, you know, selling to my clients, being on sales conversations, I really had to like pay attention to, I am feeling all these feelings. I'm noticing all of these things and it can almost be overwhelming to my system. And so if I want to be successful and feel confident and be able to really do my job to the best of my ability, I had to figure out a way to sort of slow everything down, slow my sales conversations down, leave generous space for me to spot red flag behavior in potential clients to check in with myself. What am I feeling? Because I can, because I am so sensitive to the incoming information, I have to really like give myself some space sometime to go, okay, is this mine? Is this theirs? What's in between us? So I had to slow down my, figure out how to slow down my sales conversations check in before a client says yes. Am I ready to say yes to them? Are they ready to say yes to me? Does that feel good? Um, And so the ways that I've been able to sort of sort some of that out, an intake form has been, you know, a fantastic tool for me because I get to, you know, look at somebody's answers and I can get a read based on what they're saying in between the lines. Um, about how they might show up for the relationship. It's all there. I believe it all shows up from Mm -hmm. the beginning. There's no surprises. Um, You know, lots of times we can look back on things and go, I missed that, but it was was there, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, those are some of the ways. Like I'm just taking in so much information and then I had to go and say to myself, okay, what do I need? How can I make this experience really respectful of me and myself and what I have to offer and the fact that I'm taking in so much. And then what does the person on the other end of, you know, a client relationship need from me? How can I really get mutual respect? Because, Mm. um, you know, I grew up in a very like power over environment, very um, intense, fundamental religious upbringing. um, And then sort of like a parent with narcissistic traits. So growing up in a, you know, a very fundamentalist religious tradition, having a parent who is very, you know, control and power over, I'm incredibly sensitive to like, how can I respect my potential client? How can I respect myself and make that a mutual power with, right? Not power over. That is something that is, of course, incredibly important to me. Well, maybe I want to take a step back, Heidi, and how do you define red flags in relationships? Like, what is a red flag for you? Yeah, an an easy, quick tell um, is the person that I am in conversation with following direction. 
which sounds, I don't know however it sounds to people, but for example, if I say, hey, you know, I would love to have a conversation with you, hop on over to my intake form and fill out the information. So when they go over there, they, they're like, okay, I don't want to do these questions. Maybe they put in NA, mm. right? They've technically done the form. Like that's that's an example that happens to people. It, it hasn't happened to me, but other ways that they can show me that they're not following uh, instructions or they're not giving me a lot of information. There are certain behaviors that will show up in people's answers that tell me they're not ready. Um, that sounds like a judgment, but it's a matter of like, okay, how how are they answering the questions? Does it sort of um, show me that they have the, the challenges and problems that I can help them with in my business? Yeah. So those are some of the things I'm looking for. It's it's so, I'm just so wired for being able to pick up on things that it's hard for me to give you exact examples. It's hard to articulate because it's so intuitive, but I, I really do want to get a little granular. So I'm hearing like when you talk about following directions to really, to me, that sounds like a boundary. Yeah. Uh, when you ask someone to do something and they push back or they do it differently, it may not be a full red flag, but maybe enough of a, of a yellow flag yeah. to go. Yeah. Hmm. Are there any other um, red flags that show up for you in business that you, or even yellow flags that cause you to pause and, yeah. and, you know, Get you, get you a little bit on alert on really the trajectory of whether this relationship is going to be one that is right fit for you and your potential client. Yeah, very much. Um, I'm very tuned into how how much somebody needs from me. Oh, tell me more. Yeah, and so if I, if it feels like they're um, hanging on every word, you know what I mean. Like there, there's good connections where where people. <laughs> Um, obviously, you know, when you're a coach and you, you want your client to, you know, to be in with you and listening, but then there's, there's the clients who are pushing, pushing boundaries of like, you said all these things. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Can you? And it's like, it just becomes this like push, 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 push. Can I get as much as I, you know, I paid for this. I want to get all, I got to get every cent that I'm owed here. So I'm going to ask a million questions. Um, and so pacing, right? Pacing. Are they able to like have critical thinking? Are they able to take their time? I mean, and let me just say, every client has different needs and is going to show up a little bit differently. For and sure. I am here for accommodating people. Um, and I want people to be open and honest about what they need. And there, there definitely has to be boundaries in place, right? If there's a lot of like, you know, I need you every second. I need you to be available on, you know, after your hours, on weekends, all of the time. Why are you answering my messages? Um, you know, that that is just way too much. You know, I, I'm thinking about this and my brain is even going to, is this a, a transformational relationship or a transactional relationship, right? Yeah. Like, is this, Are we, am I respecting you as mm -hmm. a human being? Um, and your boundaries and your your edges and what's okay and not okay and and mine or am I like I'm giving you money and you're gonna give me whatever I want whenever I want however I want yeah and we see yeah. that a lot in culture this others oh, and 
And I, and I think it's kind of where we breathe it all in. There's this entitlement. Well, I paid for this. So I want, I can get whatever I want versus there's a living human being here yes. <laughs> that we're entering in relationship with versus, yeah. and I think that touches on what you said at the beginning. Does it start to feel like a power over relationship versus a power with? Am I yeah. tracking that correctly? Yeah. 1000%. You know, I'm so much about like the relationship piece, how if this relationship with a client is going to be successful, how can we set it up to be as successful as possible? And a a transaction is, you know, not going to get my clients a transformation that they need and want. Um, and it's, it's, I'm also going to show up as a very unhappy service provider. Right. And so, you know, I've put a whole bunch of different like checks and balances in place to support me and protect my energy as well as my clients. Because, you know, given, given the backgrounds that I've come from, you know, I know that I'm not going to show up as my best self if somebody is looking to like sort of get as much as they can get, but basically like, like extract absolutely everything they can from me. To me, that's not value. No, that's not value. And that's there's there's a dehumanizing piece to that. Yeah. So you just mentioned you put in a lot of checks and balances in your business to protect your energy. What are some of those yeah. practically speaking? What are some of those uh, that you have in place? So I have um, I have a boundaries document. So I realized, you know, for me early on in my business, I had some boundary val- violations that happened with clients. And you know, I also realized like, this is, this is a relationship that deserves respect, and it needs to be mutual. And so I went really deep on boundaries, communicating and articulating my boundaries, I literally have a seven page document, that's boundaries and agreements. So it's both, it's both my agreements to the client, and the boundaries that I'd like to like them to uphold and expectations. It's all communicated in fine detail. And so a big reason why it's all written down is I want my clients to be able to read it, um, experience it, decide how they feel about it and agree to it or not. So that before the work starts, usually what happens, it's really amazing. I know that I've made a good um, a really amazing right fit client decision when they read my documents or my boundaries document and they sign back and say, I love this. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Like it's usually a really exuberant, positive experience. People are usually pretty wowed by it because we don't normally get this much information. And what I found is that my clients tend to come from a similar background. And Mm. so when they see everything spelled out, really articulated brilliantly, (laughs) listen to me brilliantly, but communicated (laughs) well, they feel really supported, respected. They feel like they're in a safe container where they can really understand, okay, here are the boundaries. I know what to expect. There's no surprises Mm -hmm right? I'm not going to show up with some scam. Like there's just so much integrity built into that process. So that's a big one for me. If somebody, once they've um, signed the contract and agreed to the boundaries, we're good to go. 
So yeah, that's been like a massive part of my process. And then I think as I was telling you earlier in the sales process before they pay me, I may have up to three conversations with someone because I'm really taking my time to check in. Like I have found the sales conversations that are fast, that are those 15 minute like qualifying calls. Um, I understand why people do them. I'm not here to shit on them. But I am here to say that, like, that doesn't work for me. Well, I mean, a lot of that has is rooted in NLP, which yeah. is, uh, I don't even know if I want to even call it. It's not a, it's a, it's a, it utilizes psychological and hypnosis types of principles that can often be weaponized, in my yeah. opinion. And that gets people's feathers ruffled because a lot of people believe in that. But if we forget the person, there's a human being that we're yeah. interacting with. Um, it, it to me, I don't want to. We don't want to work with folks out of manipulation. Uh, we want that contract. So, yeah. So, thanks for talking through that seven. Like a seven-page boundary document may feel overkill or cumbersome yeah. to some, and for your right fit clients and mine, those things, it delights them. Yeah. They feel safe. They feel held. They feel seen. It builds right. trust, and I think. I know from my clinical training, one of the most common casualties of relational trauma is the loss of trust in ourselves mm. and the ability to trust that we'll be okay when we speak up and ask for something. Yeah. And so can you tell me a little bit more how this boundary document and these other different guardrails you have in place have helped you rebuild your self-trust? and keep the burdens of trauma out of your business? You know, writing that document, it requires the person writing it, me at the time, to take up a lot of space, to ask, you know, to ask for things, to be really clear in communicating my needs, my needs, my values, what I'm agreeing to, what I'm asking for people to do with me, how I'm asking them to show up, how I feel about boundaries and the client relationship, it's all in there. And so some people would say, Heidi, like that is overkill. Why can't you do a video? Can't you quickly explain that on the sales conversation? Like there's, there's more efficient ways to do that. But for me, and just the way that my system works, writing all of that out, taking up that space. I mean, literally Rebecca, every time I press send on that document to every new client. There are butterflies in my stomach, right? There's a little bit of nervousness, like how are they going to respond to my boundaries? Even though I have lots of evidence that the, the best and right people love them, you know, I am taking up a lot of space by sending mm -hmm. that and saying like, here's a big, fat, juicy signal that I am here for this and I am, I'm showing up with everything I've got and I'm asking you to do the same. And having a primary caregiver who has narcissistic wounding, yeah. the way to protect is to shrink, yeah. is to not steal the limelight, not push back and as a kid, it becomes, it's, it's like you have to bob and weave, you know, even though this is someone who also provides for you, keeps you safe, which is ironic, right? Offers you shelter and food. Yeah. Um, and then you throw in gender to this about taking up space. Right. You know, kind of the yeah. intersection of some of this. 
And so tell me about those butterflies, those younger, I'm making up those younger parts of you that are like, uh, 2023, Heidi, are you sure? Are you sure we're going to be safe? Tell me what the, again, not, we don't have to rationalize it, but tell me what their fears and concerns are when you push send on that document to Mm -hmm. a potential new client. What are they just want to say, are you sure we're going to be okay? What, yeah. What are their fears and concerns? Even though I know they trust you or else they wouldn't let you send the document, but what are they still feeling a little vulnerable about when you put this spacious document out to potential clients? Yeah. I I think the, the young part of me is, will I get a strong reaction? Right. Will, Will they reject me? Will it, you know, what will they think? That's a big one, right? Because I spent so much of my time observing before acting, listening, paying such acute attention to be sure that, you know, it was okay to exist. Oh my gosh. Right. And so, (sighs) yeah. So every time that document goes on, I'm like, there's a little part of me that's like, you know, holding my breath a little bit. How, you know, what's the response going to be? I can't help but wonder though, that every time that document is received and whether it goes to this exuberant, thank you, this is amazing too. Oh my gosh, too much. Mm -hmm. That younger part of you is relieved because you have the data. 1000%. Like once I have that data, I am like, you know, I feel unstoppable. Because you can then make the decision, you yeah. you have the choice to yeah. enter into that relationship or not. Whereas a kid, we didn't have those choices. We had to figure yeah. out how to survive. And I'm saying we, because I think there's some aspects of your story that I really resonate with in that mm-hmm. too. So I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. So one other thing that you've touched on in this juggernaut of an email that I referenced <laughs> that yes. led me to asking you to join me today. Yeah. You talked about loneliness too. And I'm mm. I'm curious, how did the loneliness that you felt as a kid help you navigate the inevitable lonely times of business ownership and entrepreneurship today? Yeah. You know what? I think, I think what I, what has really helped me heal and, and, um, to be a strong business owner is really having gone through what I did, I was able to put things in place in my business before I could maybe do some of that work in my personal life with my family. Right. Ooh, t- tell me more. Yeah. I, it felt like I was thinking a lot about this in, in preparing for our conversation about how that worked for me. I don't know if it works that way for other people. Um, but, you know, my livelihood depended on it, right? Income. Mm. Um, also my sanity. And, and on a different level, for some reason, um, having the space, the choice, the like autonomy is a high value of mine. You know, having the room to like breathe and think and and create a business and an experience for my clients, I didn't get to do any of that when I was younger, right? And and doing that work and having those conversations with your family is high stakes stuff, right? It is with your business too, but it's very different. And so 
I feel like my business gave me a lot of confidence, you know, setting it all up the way that I wanted to. I had so much choice and freedom and space um, and like expression, self-expression um, that just wasn't available. So huh. that's been, I think, really, really powerful for me. So tell me, this is this is what I'm pulling from this too, this almost like setting up your business helped you and your inner system really reauthor the stories that you were told about who you were, what you yeah. could and couldn't do. And then starting your business helped you usher you into a deeper level of conversation and clarity with people in your family of origin, whether it's boundaries and, you know, what's okay, what's not okay. Um, and sharing those things. Am I, am I you got landing it. on it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And So then bringing it back to the loneliness piece, I mean, just on a practical level too, how did your capacity to move through loneliness as a kid help you when there's that, I mean, even though we're surrounded, I remember loneliness isn't not being with people. Um, even though as for you as a solopreneur, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the, you, there, there isn't a lot of in real time connection, but sometimes that loneliness is really feeling like who gets this? Am I the only one that goes through this? And even just the physical pain of loneliness, it's a painful emotion. Yeah. How, how did, you know, when, when those moments come up, which they do for all of us in your business. How do you see how your childhood helped you move through them in a healthier way today? Yeah, I think, you know, you get so used to sort of having to figure things out on your own, right? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Um, So that is definitely there, but certainly, you know, there's some lonely and loneliness and grief and sadness in that as well. Because it is scary. There's there's some things that happen in your business that are scary. Like the beautiful thing about, you know, having a business and that autonomy and when those times of loneliness or scary things happen or the potential for scary things to happen, you know, I can support myself. I have all these tools to help myself that I didn't have when I was younger, right? Uh again, and that just feels like this really healing piece of having a business is that I have the space. I'm not in a nine to five job. I'm not like being pushed to do things in a time and in a way that that works for my employer. It's like, you know, I am the vessel. I am the one that's that's helping other people. I have to take care of me. Yeah, it almost sounds like you building a business and a life has been inextricably connected to your personal healing journey, which I mean, I would say, duh, to just about (laughs) anyone. Like, I think what we build, what we're drawn to is connected to our story, whether we're aware of it or not. And I'm hearing you see this so clearly. It wasn't just a reflexive, which I think that was some of it was far more me. I just did it. You know, that's more my personality. And then I'm like, all right, I'll figure it out later. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> your system, right. you know, it really slowed you down. And there is this piece about taking space, reauthoring and protecting your agency and your autonomy. And even if loneliness hits or those challenges, you've also been intentional. You and I met in an entrepreneur community mm-hmm. and you've put yourself 
in spaces around other folks um, yeah. who share these different skills to you and really selective in that. Yes. Yeah. Incredibly discerning. I had some early experiences that didn't go so great. Um, Cause I brought my own woundings to those, you know, here they, wherever I am, there they are. Um, and <laughs> then, uh, so having some of those experiences and going, okay, I need something to support me. I need to really be very careful about, okay, who am I letting into my world, mm. into my brain space, into my energy um, so yeah, really just being incredibly discerning about who am I surrounding myself with. Leading is hard. Leading is also often controversial as you navigate staying aligned to your values, your mission, your boundaries. Navigating the inevitable controversy can challenge your confidence and clarity and calm. Now, I know you don't mind making the hard decisions, but sometimes the stakes seem higher and can bring up echoes of old doubts, insecurities, and relational woundings during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action. Finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex and polarized world can help you identify the blocks that keep you playing it safe and small. Now, leaning today is on a fancy title or fluffy bragging rights. It is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is so unknown and the doubts and pains from the past keep showing up to shake things up. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism at bay and foster a hope that is both actionable and aligned. When the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus, when you want to navigate inevitable conflict between your ears and with those you lead, When time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity, then Unburdened Leader Coaching is for you, where you deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently than you were taught. To start the Unburdened Leader Coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free connection call. I can't wait to hear from you. You know, Heidi, one thing I've learned about watching you and listening to you and learning from you over the years is you, your body, your system will not tolerate toxic people. And that like it, it, it shuts it down so equivocally and not like in a disrespectful drama, like whatever we see play out way. It's just there's a lot of clarity and you really listen to that. And that's one thing I know for me, I have a too high, and and this is true with I think a lot of people I work with, my capacity for tolerating BS or toxic stuff is too high. I would say in recent years, that's shrunk, Mm. especially since the shelter in and really all of us kind of reflecting a lot that Mm. now my capacity for tolerating is a lot less than it used to be. But I really appreciate your awareness of that if something like you, you're not going to tolerate it anymore. It's like your system's like, nope, never again. Yeah, right? that that is, I've been leaning deeply, deeply into that and noticing how it's getting um, very much so that I cannot tolerate. Like I will, I would rather, I'm the person that would rather be alone than tolerate BS. <laughs> 
So I think that's probably where we're different because you know me, I'm like raging extrovert. And, and so I have to just catch myself to not settle for what I'm allowing into my space because it takes a while to metabolize the ickiness out if I had a rough interaction. And I used to tolerate so much that like, I wouldn't think that through. I wasn't as discerning because I was like, yay, someone to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where my personality is. But I, I actually really appreciate that. And I have a lot of friends. I even married someone who has is a lot like that. I'd rather be alone than to tolerate that and I, I have a lot of respect for that. And I think maybe people criticize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a really discerning strength. But it could it has its shadow side too, right? And so yeah. at what point do you realize you've you've kind of isolated too much? Yeah, and that is that's totally my tendency. Um, I have to be, you know, careful about not isolating too much. Um And so I think the way that I'm able to sort of uh, manage that is finding these communities of people, right? Where it's, it's a discerning, safe place and knowing that I do have community available and I can also step away and spend time with myself, check in with myself. And I have very high relationship building strengths. I'm like 80% relationship building. So I, I'm also cultivating some really great relationships that I can check in with um, other business owners, you know, and just say, hey, like, this is feeling really hard. How about you? You know, this is bringing me back to something you said earlier in our conversation, um, back to your boundaries document, where maybe someone say this isn't efficient, this isn't, you know, productive. But your pace of things, you know, we say in the IFS community, slower is faster, um, you're living that and, you know, there, there's nothing in your system that wants to replicate <laughs> that again. Um, and so you really look at things in long game perspective. It's just fast is almost, almost becomes unsafe. Is that correct? And those are my words. So correct those words. No, no, that is true. That is true. Because I feel like in, you know, if I'm in fast mode, you know, it feels overwhelming. I might miss something. I, I, you know, mm. it, it, it's really looking at, there are times where, yes, I need, you know, we all need deadlines. I need deadlines to show up and get things done. And I also need some space, right? To think, to breathe, to check in with my body. What's my body telling me? What, what's my heart telling me? You know, what's my brain telling me? So many people don't do that. It feels inefficient to do that. And now it's becoming a non-negotiable for me. Um, But I just didn't think I could. And I think that's the way that, you know, the way I metabolized and tried to protect my trauma was just keep going, just keep going. Don't get stuck. For me, slow felt stuck and dangerous. Right. Because I I felt too vulnerable in that. Um, For you, it's there's an intentionality you're not dragging things out. So right. what's interesting, though, is one of your superpowers that people come to you to help them with is sales. Yeah, okay, <laughs> And like that that's a word that, oh, my gosh, sales and marketing, even though they're two different things, I want to be very clear, but they're connected. Mm-hmm. They're often very connected um, and interwoven in strategy. But 
sales is something that feels you got to do it, like got to make the sale. We got to go, you know, there's like a speed to it, but there's also an immense vulnerability. And also there's a lot of judgment around sales. So I'm curious, tell me how negotiating sales for your business helped you process and heal your childhood wounds and reconnect with your power. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it, it affords me so much, uh, power again, not in a power over way, but I get, you know, to me asking is powerful. Okay. Stop there, there. Stop with that pause. Okay. But for so many people asking is needy. Asking is being a burden. Asking is open yourself up for judgment and criticism. Mm -hmm. And you're saying asking is power. Help me connect the dots here. Yeah, I love that. So I am not asking. Uh, so I'm asking with so much curiosity about the person I'm talking to. So I'm not asking them to like help me. It's all about them, right? I'm being very curious to ask questions about their problem, their challenge. Um, that's all sales. Uh... Sales is all, you know curiosity. But you're not doing it from a manipulative perspective. Yeah. You have what I call a non-agenda curiosity. It's just mm. tell me more. You really and and that's true Heidi because when I feel like someone and I I've, I've been on the recipient end of that from you and from others and when I feel like someone really wants to get to know me that it builds trust and that builds connection. Yeah. And with when once you have trust and connection with me, I think with anyone, then so much more can happen. So yeah. if I'm hearing you correctly, your approach to sales is what are you struggling with? Tell me more. Okay. And you and you get in the weeds, you really take the time to ask, not to be the solution person, not to be the hero, but just to understand. Yeah. Is that and tell me, yeah, tell me if I'm landing this right. And then how and I still want you to circle back on how that's been healing for you. Yeah, I mean, the like asking is it gives. It, there's so much creativity, right? It's all about for me. It's all about connection, wow. creativity. Um, because getting somebody to give me the the most important information about their business, so that I can help them see the gaps or the problem or the challenge. It's for me. It's fun, not in a, not that it's a game, but it's like, I get to discover along with my clients. Oh, it's collaborative. Totally. It's absolutely collaborative. I'm not extracting anything from anyone because I'm inviting them in to t oh. just tell me more. It's not exploitive. Like, no. I, I like that you're, with this extracting, it becomes, uh, there's an agenda there, but there's for you and your value and your ethic sales is relationship. It's understanding. And then it's, and then where do you say, Hey, here's how I can help. What does that look like? Yeah. But with that curiosity period. And then how do you say, okay, here's, here's what I can offer you. I mean, they can look a million different ways, right? I, so I don't use <laughs> scripts because that feels incredibly inauthentic to me. I really am in it, right? This is where it comes back to that whole observing, listening, taking in, being really sensitive to what is happening. 
uh, and what I'm hearing. And so in terms of like inviting somebody to talk about, okay, here's the investment. Here's what it looks like to work together. I just say, hey, do I have your permission to talk some more about going deeper? Does it make sense for us to talk about working together? Would you like to know more about what it costs to do this? So you know what I'm hearing? hearing in those questions, permission and consent. 100%. Always. Yes. Permission and consent. It's, it's, is this okay? Here's what I'm hearing. Here's the, here's an invitation. Yeah. And it's, again, it's the antithesis of NLP and all these other different hacks that bastardize the best of psychology. Yeah. I mean, again, respect is like one of my number one, one of my, it is my number one value right? Mutual Mm. respect. And so if you're in a sales conversation and you're feeling like you're being disrespected, guess what? That's going to happen the whole way through. You know, it's not going to change. The salesperson is disrespecting you. That's what you're going to get for delivery. If the client, a potential client is disrespecting you, that's how they're going to show up for the client relationship, right? I really believe that all of that stuff shows up in the first conversation, and so I'm just there to be as like respectful and invitational and like open to connection. And huh. it's just, yeah, it, it's a very different experience than the way that a lot of people sell. <laughs> the way that a lot of business folks run things yeah. today. Yeah, sadly, yeah. because it's inefficient and it's it's not canned. Yeah. There's not scripts. It's about skill and heart and integrity yeah. and practice um, and, and skill. Um, it, my brain went to how much parenting has mm. been healing for me that I've been mm. able to give my kids things I didn't get respond to my kids in moments in ways that I wasn't responded to, and how that's been healing to me and my system. And what I'm hearing is, your business has offered you that, mm-hmm. that how you engage with people and interact with them, what you offer and what you, how you've built everything has helped you Has that's part. So that's how I'm connecting the sailings, the sales piece with mm-hmm. um, healing your childhood wounds is because you get to give others what you didn't have, but you're doing it through your business. I think that yeah. is incredible. How does that, what comes up when I say that? Yeah, 100% resonates. I mean, I, one of the things that I really, I don't know if I realized it at the time. I mean, I've, I've been doing a lot of work on my anger and realizing that when I take my anger and I advocate for myself, sales is all about advocacy. I'm mm-hmm. advocating for my client. I'm advocating for myself and my business. Um, when I can make that, you know, shift from it's power with yes, it's power with not power yeah. over. Even. When I can do that, that's just awesome, right? That's healing. Anger, especially with those who identify as female and have been raised as female, it's complicated. Yeah, again, too, especially with your background, the fundamental fundamental religious background around yeah. anger. Do not sit in your anger. I'm like, okay, yes, but doesn't mean we don't get angry. <laughs> Right. You know? yeah. And and you don't get to all decide what's a sin and what's not like you know, just because it was based on what you feel like. But that's right. a big mind F and especially how how folks uh, who identify as male express anger and feel. So there's probably a lot of stuff of unlearning there. Mm-hmm. And we've we weren't taught about righteous anger. 
Right. And I love how you're using that anger as a data point for advocacy for those that have entrusted you with their business. Um, that's a, I really appreciate that. That's a really values aligned business right there. And it's also giving back to you, Heidi, is what I'm hearing. Massively. Yes, absolutely. I mean, instead of, you know, thinking back to my childhood and, and my experiences and feeling helpless or trapped or, and full of, you know, resentment and anger, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things that I wasn't able to express and my needs that weren't getting met, you know, I'm now an adult and I can advocate for myself and I can create an amazing boundaries document and a sales process and an experience for myself and my clients. Um, like that, that is what is healing me, right? Taking all of those steps in my business has, has just really helped me become the person that, you know, I always wanted to become and wasn't, there just wasn't the space and the room and the. I was raised on the customer is always right. Mm. And I had to adapt to that. Yeah. And whatever they want, because they're going to give the money. It was all about whatever, give them whatever they, and it was full body sacrifice. That's literally what I cut my teeth on and what mentors had taught me. Um, I saw it in my family. I saw it around me. It was hustle, hustle, hustle. And this is really the antithesis of it. But before we go, I want to take take you back to before you had your business. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like an in-between period uh, for you and your journey. And you were working in the flower industry. You were in a space that, you know, expressing your creativity. You thought, this is my jam. And then you realize that you're working with some of the most incredibly talented people, Mm -hmm. but they also were equally toxic. And they were reflecting the same kind of toxicity that you grew up with at home. So I'm curious what the trade-offs were for you as you when you realized you were sacrificing your sanity, your well-being for success. Yeah. You know, it is, they call it an agricultural business. because, And so in agriculture, it is labor. It's yeah. physical. It's intense. The hours are long weekends, holidays, it's all in everything, body, mind, soul, you are in. And, um, you know, I just found that what happened was like, I ended up sacrificing again, like this mirrored my childhood, I was sacrificing for, for others, right? I was sacrificing. And that's a hard habit habit to sort of break when you're used to um, bending to, to everything around you. Um, Mm. you know, I was placing my value and worth on how hard I could work because in the floral industry, it's all about the the hours you put in the labor, you know, the longest day I ever worked, I worked till 5am on my feet, drove home. Like I I had hour commute, came back. I, I slept for three hours, came back and did another full day. Because, you know, I was working for companies that we were doing high-end events, weddings, like big time, you know, the budget was 100K on flowers. And that was back in the 90s, right? Dang, yeah. So I I worked harder than I've ever worked in my life. And and I suffered greatly, greatly for it. Um, And so this is why... I'm so intentional. I literally 
in the middle of my floral career, ended up in the hospital uh, with a tracheotomy tube. And that no. I had a trach tube for three years. Um, Heidi, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the other interesting thing, right? Like, what trach tubes in your throat? That's your voice. I was just, I was just going to say that. Oh my gosh, that's your power. That's your life. Right. <gasps> and so I learned, um, I, I had just been married for a year and a half, two years. I learned a massive lesson about your health, your body, your relationship to yourself mm-hmm. and like the endless, endless lessons. And so I sacrificed my body and it showed me <laughs> that, you know, again, can't tolerate that. My body showed me. So it took me a while to get out. I had to slowly back my way out. Um, but I got there. And, um, you know, part of that whole, ex- I don't think this is answering your question directly, but part of that experience was realizing, okay, my body can't take this, but also I have so much more to offer the world than just creating beautiful things with my hands. There's value in that. But there's so much more to who I am and what I have to offer the world. And maybe what I would add to that, it's not even about the creative expression. It wasn't about you just laboring in that way, that kind of agrarian. I mean, we both grew up in that kind of agrarian culture where the value, your worthiness is what you do and how, you know, how hard you do it. Even in my DC days, people would brag about how many hours they worked on the weekends and thought that was great. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's not what I want to do when I have a family. Right. So so saying all of that, Heidi, what does success look for you like for you today? And how is it different from when you were younger? Yeah. So to me, success is like, you know. Helping is really healing, right? Especially when you're helping from an integrated, healed place as much as possible, right? And so success to me now is like, I get to challenge the the edges of my own personal development and evolve and grow. That to me is success versus, you know, laboring, exhausting myself, right? I can be really intentional, um, thoughtful. Like, I just feel like that to me is success versus, you know, versus those times where I was in those environments where I was like mirroring my childhood, being around toxic people, not having choices, you know, like when I was in the floral industry, the pay is ridiculously low. You're doing it for the love and the passion. Um, and you know, that it's not sustainable. There's no way financially, emotionally, physically. Um, and so, yeah, this, you know, being able to sort of grow up and do a lot of my own work to get to this place where I can own my own business, work in my strengths and my skills and honor other people while I'm doing it. Like that is, that's the dream for me. That's success. Yeah. Oh, Heidi, thank you for this conversation. I feel like there's a few more that I want to have in the future with you. So I hope you come back. But before you go, are you up for some quick fire questions? This is, I love this. I love it when it makes sense in an interview. I love these questions. (laughs) Are you, so awesome. Okay. What are you, what are you reading right now? 
So I just finished Prince Harry's book, Spare. And, and I, you know, it, 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 there's been a lot of controversy about it. I loved listening to his voice. And um, I feel like there's, I have a special place in my heart for him because I was literally in the hospital the weekend his mother died with my, Uh. I was intubated at the time, really ill. And so I don't know, there's just this weird parallel. You remember where you are when really famous people die. That's where I was. And so, you know, experiencing him go through all of the trauma with his family, um, listening to his audiobook was really, really powerful for me. Thank you for that. What song are you playing on repeat right now? Uh, So on the weekend, I was listening to a mix of Depeche Mode, Erasure, (laughs) and The Cure. And it just was like... And The Cure. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You know, Depeche Mode is on tour. They're coming to San Diego at the end of this calendar year. And I think I'm going to take the plunge and get tickets. I cannot believe Amazing. they're touring. Um, that's awesome. And Erasure has such a special place right. in my heart. I love that. Best TV show or movie you've seen recently? Everything. What is it? Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm a little bit behind on that, but that uh, that movie is amazing. Uh, what do they, they say this line? Uh, every rejection, every disappointment has led you here. I know. And the, ugh, the end of that movie. Woo. Yeah, I know. It's so good. So I need to watch it again. I need to watch it again. Same. All right. You and I are of a similar age. Yeah. So what is your a- favorite 80s movie or favorite piece of 80s pop culture? So it's very hard for me to pick because I am a massive John Hughes fan, the director, right? Yes. However, yep, yep. if I had to choose The Breakfast Club, Oh, right, and because... of course I'm like doing the sign right now. The, <laughs> <laughs> the end of the movie, yes. the end of the movie, fist pump the air, awesome. Heidi, what is your mantra right now? So I watch. I don't know if everybody else watched the um, Netflix has stats, but he says true confidence is living in uncertainty and moving forward. Yeah, and I love to remind myself yeah. of that because you know. Yeah, it's the vulnerability of not having it all figured out and having that courage to step into it. I dig it. Heidi, what's an unpopular opinion that you hold? I think, you know, my unpopular opinion is like slow is slow is, you know, great. Slow is where it's at for me. Slow is where it's at. Right. Like lots of people say slow is fast, but for me, like slow is exactly where I need to be. Oh, I like that. Ooh, I like that. And who or what inspires you to be a better leader and human? So, well, as you know, I have been uh, working on getting certified as an Enneagram uh, practitioner. And so doing the work with the Enneagram really inspires me to be better. And it, like the depths of that work is you're, you're constantly, you're always uncovering something new. And so it has it has really helped me just be a better human being and notice who I am and how I'm how I'm showing up for everything I do. That's incredible. I've learned a lot about the Enneagram from you and I'm grateful. So thank Heidi, thank you for this conversation. I know it was like the tip of the iceberg of the amount of wealth and knowledge and wisdom uh, that you hold uh, for all those that you serve, but I, I really appreciate 
you taking the time for this conversation and sharing some of your heart and story. I know people are going to get a lot out of it. Thank you, Rebecca. Before you go, I hope you take away a few key nuggets from today's Unburdened Leader conversation with Heidi Taylor. Now, bottom line, entrepreneurship and leading can be a challenging journey requiring constant adaptation, problem solving, and risk taking. Yet for many entrepreneurs, their success can be traced back to a traumatic event or relational trauma that shaped their ability to thrive in an uncertain environment. And we learned from Heidi how she stepped out of the grind of overwork and people-pleasing, responses from her relational wounding, into a healthy and boundaried business that leaves us with so many lessons, right? Heidi shared the thought and heartfelt intention she puts into her business and the experience she wants to create for all who work with her and herself, which is inspired from her own awareness of relational wounding and in turn making sure her business supports her instead of harms her. And I'm curious, how may you be replicating your wounds from your story unintentionally in your business or your work today? And are there still some echoes of your past pain showing up in your work and life that need some attention from you? And what is driving the decisions in your work and business? Is it value-aligned boundaries or is it over-functioning and people-pleasing? Now, we cannot power over our relational pain through more strategy and more work. In order to release the burdens of relational trauma, we need to do the work to understand how these pains inform us so we do not replicate them in our life and our work. And this is the ongoing work of an unburdened leader. Thank you so much for joining this episode of The Unburdened Leader. If this show was particularly impactful for you, I would be honored if you would go ahead and leave a rating, a review, and share it with someone you think may benefit from it. That is how we get the word out about this show. And you can find this episode, show notes, ways to sign up for the free Unburdened Leader Weekly and resources, along with ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com. 